The U.S. healthcare system is so complicated. It's like a 10,000-piece puzzle. Among the many things needed to improve it is to be intentional about inclusivity at all levels. The Hit Like a Girl podcast, H-I-T, like a girl podcast, works to listen and learn from women leaders within the industry who each hold a piece of that puzzle with the idea that if we connect more, we can change the bigger picture. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Health Podcast Network, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more, visit hitlikeagirlpod.com. That's H-I-T, likeagirlpod.com. Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, and Weedy, as many of you know, is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Uh, I'm excited today. The theme of our, our show today is supporting health equity through interoperability. Uh, we've got an, a number of people on our show today. I'm happy to introduce you to uh, Holly, uh, Holly Varnell. She is Director of Value-Based Care Contracting and Payer Relations at SERA Prognostics, S-E-R-A, and Dr. Sharon Hybay. Uh, Dr. Hybay is CEO of Advanced Health Outcomes. So, Dr. Hybe, let's start with you. Can you uh, tell, you know, on the show, uh, we like to um, talk to uh, healthcare leaders quite often and get a sense of how they came to, to be in the positions they are, how they got to interested in the, in the categories of, of health that they're interested in. So, so how did you come to be in this space? Um, was, that a, was that a spiritual journey? Was it an experience journey? Did you just wake up one day and find yourself doing this? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Matthew, and I'm really happy to be here today, Sharon Hybay. And uh, um, so I am a nurse by training. I um, have been uh, in a plethora of healthcare settings, various hospitals, doctor's offices, home health, long-term care, etc. Um, and my last role in direct care was as a hospital administrator supporting multiple specialties um, as a nurse, you're kind of uh, fortunate to be able to care for patients in, lo in lots of different settings and under, under lots of different conditions. And one of the things that always struck me is that, uh, you know, the care that we deliver is not always consistent. So I found my way into quality improvement, in, mostly in the hospital arena. And I really worked uh, to try to standardize and improve the care uh, improved the outcomes that uh, patients and families uh, received. Um, and it, it became pretty evident quite early that not all patients received the same quality of care. Very good. And uh, turning to you, Holly, um, it, it looks like from your resume, Holly, that from a very early age, you not only wanted to do business development, business management, 
and data, but also that you were very interested in healthcare from the very beginning. So I'd like to know how, as a, as a, as a college student, uh, you, you were so focused on that goal. Uh, well, I started off, honestly, with healthcare and the dentistry specialty. Um, I grew up in Batesville, Arkansas, so I started college and education very early and healthcare very early because I jumped right from that to dentistry and mainly just to, to really honestly get out of Arkansas a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I've always been passionate about is I've, I've worked in value-based, value-based care literally from every perspective since it really started. So since health and human services, high-tech rules, since ARA back in 2009, um, I started on the provider side. I shifted over to the ONC side or electronic health record side. And then back over to the provider side. Um, I've consulted in value-based care, health information technology, and over 18 different specialties. That being said, health information technology, improving outcomes with value-based care, plus working with underserved populations is my true passion. For example, uh, one of my last initiatives was a push for molecular testing in the VA to stratify the aggressiveness of prostate cancer in veterans who were exposed to the Asian orange pesticide during the Gulf and Vietnam Wars. And now that I'm with Sarah um, and prenatal risk in molecular testing, I'm learning of these huge health equity disparities and just trying to make a difference here. And honestly, working in a company who shares these similar beliefs is a really big help. It, it really helps to get a lot farther. I felt since the beginning of value-based care, creating ways to incentivize providers, measure improvements of quality of care is a a really great angle to attack a lot of these issues. And currently, what we'll get into a little bit later, I'm developing clinical quality measures for payers, providers, health systems, alternate payment models that focus directly on this. And I started working with uh, Lauren Patrick, the CEO of HealthMonix. HealthMonix is a qualified clinical data registry. They provide quality improvement and measurement solutions and have created several clinical quality measures, and we've had several conversations around my initiatives in the past. And that was who introduced me to Dr. Sharon Hybe, who, who really allowed us to launch this whole thing. Uh, very good. So uh, Dr. Hybe, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this program, but let's back up a little bit and talk about um, what Holly mentioned, the gaps in equity of care and uh, maternal mortality uh, and, and other uh, issues uh, related to pregnancy. So tell us a little bit about what the, what the state of the union is now um, with those issues. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Th- thanks for asking that question, Matthew. So first I'd like to kind of provide a little bit of background and a common understanding of some basic concepts. So preterm birth results in overwhelming poor outcomes in maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality. Um, Preterm birth is defined as delivery before 36 uh, weeks of gestation. And the term spontaneous uh, preterm birth, as we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about today, basically just means that the birth was not the result of some sort of a medical intervention, like an induced labor. Um, You know, it, it, it goes to hopefully common sense understand is the earlier the preterm birth, um, the 
more complications there are to the baby for sure and also to the mother. There are varying levels of or categories, of, if you will, of preterm birth, and they're based upon the fetus's gestational age. Um, you know, uh, babies that are born before 25 weeks have very, very high uh, mortality rates. And if they do survive, the morbidity or the, the long, the short and long-term complications are just uh, overwhelming. Um, we also have uh, very preterm, which is between 25 and 32 weeks, moderately preterm between 32 and 34, and lastly, late preterm, which is 34 and 36 uh, weeks of, uh, uh, completed weeks, I should say, of pregnancy. Um, again, I said the, the, you know, basically the idea is the longer you can keep the baby in the cooker, the, the better it is for the baby, the better it is for obviously for the mom too, but de definitely we want to reduce those long and short-term complications for, the, for babies. Um, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention report that one in 10 births are actually are premature um, and or preterm um, and that about 70 to 80 percent ish of all preterm births are spontaneous. Again, that means there was not some sort of um, uh, medical intervention to induce the labor or to uh, expedite the labor. Um, this is once you get involved in this concept, you really start to learn how um, poor the United States um, healthcare is for moms and babies related to maternal health. Um, and uh, you know some of the indicators, or that's another word for quality, uh, clinical quality measures uh, that we look at. We're, we're trying to understand overall, um, you know, what are countries' popular uh, preterm rates. Um, and the United States actually is number six in the world of the highest preterm rates. We are just higher than Bangladesh and just lower than Indonesia. The top four countries in the world for preterm births are um, it, um, India, China, Nigeria, and Pakistan. So we have a bit of work to do. The March of Dimes notes that Black mothers will experience six, 50 to 60% more preterm births uh, then white mothers will. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of do a steady state. If, if Thanks for allowing me to do that, to now answer your question a little bit more about, you know, maternal morbidity and mortality and, and health equity, et cetera. Um, you know, preterm births are often preventable uh, with routine early prenatal care. Uh, we want to increase the monitoring that mothers need if they are found at risk for preterm care, and we want uh, care to be delivered based upon the best research, the best evidence that's out there, you know, and we would love it if our healthcare system could equitably uh, provide care to all populations, irrespective of any kind of demographic or geographic or socioeconomic status. We want all moms and babies to have the best care. That kind of goes without, you know, without saying, I think. Um, we also know that about 10% uh, of, of severe morbidity and mortality um, derives from preterm birth. So that's just severe. But when you start to incorporate all maternal morbidity and mortality, not just the severe mor morbidity mortality, the rates are just astronomical. Um, so let's, let's again, look at that. If we could just back up to that statistic, I think it's an important statistic to kind of spell out. Uh, what you're saying is, is, is women who experience preterm births in their pregnancy will often have 
bad outcome or the, 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 the health status of the, of the woman is, is worse off. Is that, is that the, how we're to understand that statistic? That's exactly how we understand the, the, okay. the statistic. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, when you think about the vast majority of preterm births are preventable, um, if they're not preventable, if we can extend the woman's pregnancy in weeks, we can think about the significant reduction in um, complications, um, the, the amount of suffering that can happen to moms and babies. And then you got to think about, you know, then you start thinking about, you know, circles of, of consequence and you think, well, and what about the baby, the father? And what about the baby's family? And what about, you know, it's, it's, it's everyone um, that, uh, you know, gets impacted by a, by a preterm birth. Um, and um, the, the impact is significant no matter how you slice it. So when we talk about, you know, the quality of life for the moms and babies and their families, when we talk about the, the length and duration and, and extent of, of complications they might have, certainly the cost that, that um, these families also have in trying to treat and care for moms and babies who have these uh, severe morbidity and mortality issues. I mean, it, it just, it, it has this massive ripple effect. Thank you for setting that up, uh, Dr. Haibe. Um, so Holly, uh, we've kind of laid out the groundwork here. So, so is this a solvable problem? Uh, uh, clearly, there are, 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 our rankings in, in terms of countries across the, the world is, is horrendous. But, but what, what can be done to solve this problem? This is actually a, a very solvable problem. Um, so currently, more than 80% of spontaneous preterm births are missed by our societal guidelines. And this is something that we're looking to change. So for example, in general, for a singleton pregnancy, meaning one baby, only around 17% of mothers are identified as high risk for spontaneous preterm birth. And we know what, like Dr. Haibe was saying, there's these huge gaps and there's more likelihood by different ethnicity for this occurrence to happen. And we're currently only looking at mothers who've had a prior preterm birth or those with cervical insufficiency. And even more, um, almost half of all of these spontaneous preterm births are first time moms. They have no obstetrical history and they don't have any known risk factors. So they're very blindly thrown into probably one of the very scariest situations of their life. And this is something we can change. This is something we can solve. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but honestly, it is solvable. And really, we need to start to identify these mothers and then how we can do this both effectively and cost efficiently, efficiently. And that's where these new advancements in the prenatal space really come in. So we have a proteomic test that actually predicts the risk of spontaneous preterm birth early and some of these populations that are not currently identified. And early is really the key here. We wanna catch it before it goes off. We wanna catch it before the preterm birth is locked in and happening. 
And even these very minimal or benign interventions like additional supervision, even by telehealth, um, around the clock availability, patient education, they can all really improve outcomes. They can reduce the NICU, the ICU length of stay. And overall, the severe and chronic conditions mentioned earlier by Dr. Hybe for both the mother and the baby. And we now have the ability to know this risk level early. And for all preterm births, not just spontaneous, early identification and, and intervention is really pivotal. The, the earlier we know the risk, the more we can do to increase the time to delivery. So we do have solutions for some of these problems right now. Very good. And so what are some of those uh, initiatives you're working on, Holly? So I'll take a big drink of water for this one because I get pretty excited about this part. <laughs> so I'm calling it the Dream Big and Internal Care Initiative. And that stands for Driving Equity for All Moms and Babies by Improving Gaps in Maternal Care. It's really focused on developing clinical quality measures, as I mentioned earlier, as a passion, which incentivizes payers, providers, and health systems to standardize care to improve both outcomes and health equity, make it a standard of care. Some of the initial clinical quality measures that we're working on to be used by these payers, providers, and health systems to be endorsed nationally, hopefully internationally too, um, is Early risk assessment, so measuring early risk assessment in populations that we know are at risk for spontaneous preterm birth, but not in these current guidelines. And then a change in medical management for those who are identified as high risk, because we can have providers, payers, health systems diagnose patients, mothers as higher risk for spontaneous preterm birth. But if they don't do anything about it, and especially early, then it doesn't really make a difference. So we'll be measuring um, the number of spontaneous preterm births and mothers who are not assessed early or assessed early and identified as high risk but didn't receive additional prenatal care. And we're also measuring the maternal morbidity and mortality in these patients. And like Dr. Haibe and you guys were discussing earlier, um, that evidence back 10% of severe maternal morbidity and mortalities from spontaneous preterm birth is very likely an understatement. And hopefully one of the things that we can uncover with some of these initiatives. We're also working on a risk adjusted total cost of care to kind of help with economic impact for spontaneous preterm birth. Um, a single day in the NICU can exceed three to $4,000. And in a, an article that I read in Managed Care Magazine, four days or longer in the NICU is 40 to $80,000. It's just, there's, there's so much we can do with so little intervention. And early assessment just addresses all of these issues. And very lastly, just part of the initiative, and not least at all, because I think this is going to add to a lot of, of new initiatives, is we're going to stratify all of these clinical quality measures by socioeconomic status, by race, by payer type. We can truly identify the gaps in health equity and update those guidelines and we know that there are gaps in ethnicity, social determinants of health. We know that those are contributing factors of spontaneous preterm birth. We're just, we're proving it and we're holding people's feet to the fire for it now. Uh, thank you, Holly. And, and can you give us more of a sense of what the structure of Dream Big is? Is this uh, a number, is this uh, commercial entities? Is this 
uh, nonprofits? Is the government involved? Like, what, how is initi- this uh, Dream Big initiative set up? So we actually have a lot of advocacy, and uh, Dr. Habre is going to go into it a little bit later. Um, but we want the right people and all different perspectives as advisors and experts on looking at these. So as we're working through some of these clinical quality measures, we're also working with other value-based pilots and large healthcare systems and payers to, to really check the feasibility of these measures. And then we have convened, you know, key opinion leaders across the nation that can really go through. We've got, for example, from a patient perspective, and I'll, I won't steal the glory from Dr. Hybe because she's got a lot of it covered in there too, but we, we've got the right people on it. And it's something that we're trying to drive more advocacy as we go, because this is an important issue, as you said earlier, not just for maternal mortality, morbidity, which is a huge topic right now, but also for the newborn and health equity. Very good. Dr. Haibe, uh, maybe you touch on that, on that question as well. How are you um, spreading word about this, this um, program, initiative? I'm sorry. Well, you know, to be quite honest, my input is really to kind of guide the development of these clinical quality measures. And, you know, we've used that word a couple of times, so I I think I'll I'll explain what they are. So basically, it is kind of a narrative and mathematical tool that we utilize, um, and we try to assess the quality of care delivered to a certain topic. And in this instance, it's about pregnant moms and babies, right? And so... What you do is it's a calculation of what you want to have happen divided by, um, you know, the whole population of people that you wanted to have it happen to. So, um, you know, again, I've been doing clinical quality measures for, oh, geez, do I, should I say 25 years? That's really makes me sound old, (laughs) but I've been doing this a long time and I've, 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 Um, met and engaged with a number of people, including Medicare and Medicaid and CDC and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Um, uh, I would say over 25 different medical societies and boards. So I'm I'm quite versed in in this process. National Library of Medicine, ONC. uh, My latest work is working with uh, HL7, and the work around CQL and, and uh, the fire standards, et cetera, to make sure that we have the data that we need, the electronic data that we need to develop these measures. So again, my, my work is a little bit on the quasi-technical uh, side of it. But, but I can say, too, I think I bring to the table um, a very unique perspective. So I am a clinician, so and I was a hospital administrator, and I've worked in a lot of different settings. And we have these clinical quality measures in all of those places because we want really great care for all of our patients in all of those places. So the idea is, so I, I do the clinician thing. I've worked in quality improvement. I've already done the regulatory stuff, and actually I've worked with multiple departments of health statewide and also the Joint Commission to help develop and continue to build in what we call maintain measures to make sure they're always the most current and relevant. And, uh, you know, so as we work and we build those processes, uh, I, I want, I, I'm able to share with, with everyone, you know, all the needs of all of those players. And a lot of times we, we try to bring together these players, but they represent a certain 
silo, if you will, or, or perspective. So I, I kind of understand all of them so I can hear, I'm doing air quotes now, hear what they're saying often. Um, and I've done a number of number of, of measures, uh, again, throughout quite some time. So the types of folks that we have um, assembled, you know, again, uh, as, as Holly said, we have national key opinion leaders across boards and societies, but we want to understand what does the best evidence say? What we call them clinical guidelines. What do they say is the best practice for prenatal care and other obstetrics care? We have national leaders in maternal fetal medicine. We have uh, leading authorities, midwives, we have doulas, you know, and both of those have been significantly known to decrease uh, severe morbidity and mortality in African-American women. So, you know, you know, if that's the, we want to make sure we always give care where the patient is. We should not tell patients how they should get care. We want person-centered care so that we're engaging and that we get the best outcomes, that it's relevant again to them. We have the nation's leading payers um, and healthcare systems. We have a plethora of providers. Um, the, all of these folks collectively, uh, along with the um, advocacy groups, will provide invaluable insight into this initiative to make sure that we are assessing and developing these clinical quality measures so that they match the needs of all the, all the various different providers. And, and if you will, again, not by the least, we, you know, I, I have to tell you a couple of weeks ago, we were on a call with one of our advocacy um, groups and I met with an incredible woman named Ashley Randolph, who is the uh, chair of the California Prenatal Quality Care Collaborative. And she had she had three babies, and uh, Holly, correct me if I'm saying anything wrong. And basically, she was so high risk. Her her doctor fired her. There was no care for her available for a high risk pregnancy, and um, and all of her births were preterm. It, it, it just it so that her and her baby were just at risk. I actually paused during this conversation. I said, I'm. You know, Ashley, I was literally befuddled. I said, I'm not understanding what you're saying. Are you saying that they didn't want to treat you? She says, no, they refused. And it just, it, it astounded me. So as we talk about on, boots on the ground, we want to make an impact. We want everyone to have equitable, fair, affordable healthcare quality that it's, it's out there available to everyone. You know, She's going to certainly bring a wonderful perspective to this. And then we also have a Deb Desenza, who's, all, you know, the organizations from these folks, we have, they're called a Glow Premies, Premie World, the Black NICU Alliance, um, and all of these other folks that we're going to bring to the table. You know, one of the best things when we talk about person-centered care is how is it we can define care? that allows the providers and the patients to work as a team. And so if the providers only are gonna tell the patients what they need, or if the patients say, this is my situation and my needs, but do it outside of the providers, it doesn't work. So our opportunity, our obligation is to bring people together and say, I want to hear your voice, I want to hear you. And how do we 
um, develop these tools, we call them the clinical quality measures, such that we're hearing everyone's voice. And, you know, I little, I, I have to tell you, I got off the call with Ashley and I, I uh, teamed, uh, you know, like zoomed really quick with Holly and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am just blown away by that. And I, I guess I'm just, I was just a whole lot more naive than, than I thought I was and I've seen a lot. Um, so, you know, how, how do we improve care delivery for folks like this? Yeah, and what's fascinating about what you're saying, uh, Dr. Haibe, and, and this is pulling from other guests we've had here, is it's not as simple as, um, you know, fixing a, a car or fixing a bike, uh, improving clinical quality measures or improving our health care. You brought up two th- issues here, which are kind of even outside the hospital. One is uh, the sense of um, with these uh, types of patients, with these types of uh, mothers, uh, there's the liability issue, right, that providers are thinking about. And then the, the cost issue. Uh, and that's not just a cost uh, that to the, the to the hospital or to the system. That's also a cost that the cost that may uh, end up on the on the mother uh, herself, right? And and that that stands as an as an obstacle to access uh, and and uh, certainly yes. affordability. So that's very fascinating. Um, great work looking across many different um, many different groups and associations, which are all coming from it from a different angle. Thank you. Do you do you do you find that those conversations are, are are helpful when you're all standing around and describing your part of the elephant and and that makes the elephant more digestible or does it feel like sometimes that the elephant's just too big to 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 actually swallow? That was well, a terrible you know, metaphor. I apologize. But. No, <laughs> no, it's a perfectly fine metaphor. So just in general, actually, you know, when I first did this clinical quality measure thing, and we call these things technical expert panels, that's the bringing together, the convening all of these these folks to chat about a concept. You know, we don't say here, um, the horizon is the topic. You know, we want to hear what they have to say, but we narrow the, the discussion to this, these are the concepts at hand. We might bring them some, some, you know, measures that are in a draft form. And we'll say, this, this is what we think based upon evidence and, you know, based upon surveys or based upon, you know, the latest national priority. And goodness knows this is certainly one. Um, we want to work on this topic and we narrow it down enough and then, you know, the work involves not just setting, you know, pick, you know, encouraging people, welcoming them to the table. You have to create an opportunity that people feel comfortable about sharing their voice. But the end also, you have to not just have them feel comfortable, you have to give them the opportunity to share their voice. So oftentimes with, with patients, we have often said, oh, you know, we want the patient to be involved and da 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 da. Okay, put a patient on your board. That makes the check bar mock checkbox. You know, oh, I did it. I did it. No, that's not what this is about. It's about bringing the patient voice through the process. So if the patients are saying, and the data is showing, these are the problems, and the measure or the concepts or the information you want to discuss negates that. Well, that becomes that becomes an issue. So you know, then that means we're not. Um, you know, we're we're really not addressing addressing something that is person centered. In the measurement space, we talk about, again, I'm doing air quotes. I'm not on camera, so you can't see me, but I'm doing these things, these air quotes, and we talk about meaningful measures. And, you know, it depends upon who, who's asking if they're meaningful. Is it the patient? Is it the provider? Is it the payer? Is it the rest of the population? Who is it? And so 
in my utopic head, it's all of them, <laughs> you know, so we, and those are the voices I want to have. So if, when you're respectful, always be respectful of people and you welcome them and you welcome them all as even players and you not only welcome their voice, but you give them the opportunity to voice uh, it. You know, I've done this enough that, you know, it's it took a little bit to learn it. But but, you know, and some of these people are very big players on the national health care scheme. Uh, but, you know, they they welcome the opportunity. Uh, we've had some a couple of players that we, we talked about our stakeholders that are going to be involved with the TEP. And we're just blown away. Like, you're asking me to be part of this. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yes. Where do I sign on the dotted line? So, um that, that's very, very encouraging. Very good. Very good. And Holly, you're doing some outreach too, or at least um, uh, kind of ginning up some support and some publicity on this as well. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So honestly, I'm probably a little bit more aggressive than people like, but I've had an overwhelming, you know, success and a lot of really great feedback. Um, we, like she said, we, we have the right people on there. So one of our technical experts, our advisors, as we go through the process, was a first-time mom, was one that was told that, you know, you don't have anything to worry about and really suffered from it. I mean, she's got to deal with some of these long-term outcomes for her son, who successfully or very thankfully survived. But we've got it from every perspective. And one thing she was mentioning about Ashley is she brought up that she had to, to go to several different state Medicaid programs and then what the qualifications were for her. She was actually in college at the time of her first. She had three pre, premature babies and what she had to go through just to gain access was huge. So, you know, moving forward, that's something that we're obviously adding. We, we've heard that patient access is a huge issue. Are they comfortable with going to see the provider? are they going to be rejected by the provider? And that's something that will be some of the next initiatives is finding some of those caps or hospital surveys to, to really define the patient experience as they go through. And that's obviously going to keep leading and evolving as we go along. Very good. So uh, this sounds like an excellent initiative, uh, Dream Big. Uh, can you tell us uh, where where uh, maybe listeners can find more information about this initiative or even more data about uh, maternal care and um, that, those kind of issues? So from my end, um, if they want to find more about the proteomic testing and the new advancements that are out right now, they can go to saraprognostics.com. Um, as far as the actual dream big in maternal care, it's just starting to kind of explode. So you are the first podcast that we are doing. We are working with some members that you've worked with in the past on podcasts, and we are doing some more at HEMS coming up very soon. So it's it's really just starting to to take off. Very good. We'll keep our ears open for for more coming out of Dream Big. Um, and, and I guess before we, we, we leave you, Holly, um, what are the, some of the challenges? I mean, it sounds like a, a, a group that's got an initiative that's got inertia. It's got all the right people in it. Um, what do you see as some of the challenges? Honestly, it surprised me a little bit. It's, it's really finding the payers and the forward-thinking leading healthcare systems that want to pilot these value-based care clinical quality measures to really you know, check that feasibility and 
we want to have as many players on board because we want to get it right. You know, we've that's that's what we're trying to do. That's our key. And very, very noteworthy. Um, I know you said that you worked for Zealous, and Zealous as a company was one of the first innovative forward thinkers that agreed to provide access to our proteomic tests to their to their members, which is amazing. And I really appreciate that. Well, excellent. Uh, Zealous appreciates the uh, partnership. Uh, so uh, we're, we're happy to be part of anything uh, that innovative. Uh, Dr. Haibe, uh, any closing words? Um, any Anything you want to say to listeners uh, about this or any of the other initiatives? So uh, I want to say a couple of things. So, you know, related to the challenges in, in general, you know, my work's very technical. And so mine is about finding information and data and making sure it all matches up and all of that. And I think that that's, you know, that, you know, we're, we're getting better at sharing information electronically and there's patient privacy issues and, and whether or not, uh, you know, there's information blocking and new laws and, and acts and all of that, that we have to be mindful of and we'll maneuver through those minefields as we go on. But if I could end uh, um, up. I will share with you that um, in 2018, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And I went to a fabulous healthcare system. And as a nurse, I was a very good advocate of myself. And um, not everyone has that. And I'm happy to say I'm cancer free and my outcomes and my outlook was very good. But I know that not all people have access to that. And, and so whether it's cancer or maternal care or diabetes or kidney disease or whatever, people deserve to have good quality care. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I'm going to keep fighting um, to make sure that I can help in the way that I, I can to, to fight for people whose voice is not always there. And, and this is an incredible, incredible initiative that uh, I can't tell you how many times I said to Holly, thank you. Thank you for including me. I'm so happy to be doing this. As a nurse, you want to make a difference. And I believe, I believe genuinely this, this, will, this will suit the bill just fine. Good. Very good. Um, well, we've been talking with Holly Varnell, a Director of Value-Based Care Contracting and Paired Relations at uh, Sarah Prognostics, and Dr. Sharon Hybay, CEO of Advanced Health Outcomes. Uh, we've been talking to them about uh, Dream Big, uh, their uh, initiative for maternal care. So let's all keep our ears open for uh, more news coming from uh, Dream Big. Uh, Holly, Dr. Hybay, uh, pleasure having you on the show today. Very exciting to hear about your initiative. Thank you for having us. I, I appreciate it. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.